All right, who loves Epiphany this morning? You love Epiphany? You're happy? Did anyone wake up and see the light this morning? That's what you do on Epiphany. You wake up and see the light. So actually, the sun blinded me, and that's why I woke up. Oh my gosh! I knew you were a little more enlightened. Why So, for those of you who don't know, today is the Christian holiday of Epiphany, which uh, happens the on January 6th every year because it's 12 days after Christmas. So there's Christmas. There's 12. There's 12. Let's go to the board. There's 12 days of Christmas. And then there's Epiphany, and then we have umpteen weeks of Epiphany until we get to Advent, Ash Wednesday. So, in school, and Jesus time. And your birthday? When's your birthday? February 22nd? That's awesome. That's like another one. Uh, so, yeah, so today's Epiphany. Today's the day we believe that the, or we celebrate that the, the wise men. Where's my wise men? Oh, they're over here. It's all, I like this. This is way easier. It's, it's one unit. Uh, so, the wise men. Uh, if you've been over to the Atkins house, they've been ziplining toward, toward the, oh, their camel. This is important. They've been on their way, and we believe it's Epiphany, and they have arrived, because they've seen the star, and the star, the text says, stopped over baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is probably about two at this point, maybe, maybe older, I don't know. And they're here, so it's Epiphany, we've seen the light. It's funny, uh, we're, we're seeing this song where my handout went, and and uh, story has been singing We Three Kings like constantly <clears throat> since Christmas began, and uh, and Daly has caught on to it. And uh, what's the line? I'm trying to remember the the one line that they always sing in the chorus. Star with oh, star with royal beauty bright. That's that's uh, in my house. That's booty bright. So uh, there is no difference. It's like the the Ebonic version of We Three Kings. So, uh, yeah, so here we are. Uh, we're continuing on with the narrative lectionary. We are in Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew for like a hot minute. So you guys can just sort of buckle down uh, in Matthew. And we're in chapter 2 this week. And, um, yeah, here we are. Anybody got any... Uh, Anybody got any resolutions they want to share this morning? Good New Year's resolutions? They, or bad ones? <laughs> There's lots of bad ones. Anybody got some? Come on, somebody share some, some New Year's resolutions with us. <laughs> you. Um, I want to start a best and body business. Yourself that you're not really at the kind of knee 
do the same ritual, and then you're wasting emotional energy. Wow. What it's number are you on the Enneagram again? I forget. Bear five, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get it. Yeah. yeah, anybody else? Got a good resolution? Tonight? Okay, okay. I am dedicating myself to self-care. Self-care, that's good. You should get with the Demetrius. Yeah, connections are happening. Uh, 
Yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, there's much to be done. Uh, it's 2019. We're getting our lives together. Um, it feels like, you know, making a resolution sort of feels like you've got the power, you know. Um, this morning we're in a text, and uh, we're in Matthew 2, and it's, uh, we, we got the whole chapter this morning. They gave it to us, so we're going to read some of it. And so let's jump in. It's in your handout, and um, we're in the NRSV as usual. It's not my favorite translation of this passage, but it's what we got here this morning. So we're roll with this. It says, uh, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them uh, where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is a shepherd to my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage, uh, or translation might say worship. And when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, I still don't know how this works, by the way, but it sounds awesome. They were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense. But wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, man. This is such a good narrative, isn't it, this morning? I mean, it's so good. So, um, although, you know, years in reading this passage, I still don't understand how it works, right? How is it that God comes as a baby? Like, I'm still trying to figure this out, right? Somebody tell me how this, any of this makes sense, right? Uh, you ever notice that you read things so often, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that happened, you know? Jesus, God came. He's a child. No, it doesn't, it doesn't really compute, right? And I love in this text, we, we, we see that really the, the only people getting it uh, were the people who weren't really, you know, other than the, the, the shepherds got it. They got like an inn and an angel showed up. You know, they're like, hey. But uh, the Pharisees weren't lining up at the door, uh, right? None of, uh, none of the rabbis were, were coming in to, to worship this king. Uh, but you get these magi. Uh, you get these magi. Contrary to popular Christmas songs, they probably weren't kings. So even though um, the crab thing is good, you know, we should we should stick with that. But elsewhere in the in the in the Greek New Testament, uh, this term is is used for magi. It's typically translated as like magician or or, or something like that. And in early writings in the 5th century BCE, Greek writers used this term 
basically for people who did uh, mysterious acts uh, and interpreted dreams and deduced meanings from stars and things like that. So a lot of times you'll get the translation will be like astrologers or something like that. Uh, but far from being just like a generic Greek term, um, the word magi uh, originally meant religious leaders from uh, the Medes. Uh, and so uh, they would have been probably probably a priest uh, from their particular religion, a, a religion from their particular tribe, uh, from the Zoroastrian uh, scriptures. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, the point is, uh, the people who are sort of paying, hom paying homage to Christ right here in this text, early on in the scriptures, uh, right, are these people from sort of the other place, uh, people who are already outside of the people who are, uh, maybe you would expect to be there. Right. These are the ones who are first recognizing <laughs> right, what's uh, beginning to happen. Uh, right? They're sort of uh, there opening uh, the door. And so um, I love how these, these magi, these wise men, show up. Uh, and they're just, like, uh, they're just like, so where's he at? You know, uh, so where's the, the child working with the Jews? You know, like, as if every like, Joe Smo on the block was like, he's over here. You know, the star. You guys see the star, you know? And they're just asking around, uh, you know, has anybody seen uh, Jesus? Uh, and so uh, these priests from this foreign land are the first to come to sort of proclaim that Jesus is Lord, right? To come and worship and pay him homage and give their gifts, uh, right? So you get this kind of cool scene. And so, uh, but well, if, if, if Jesus is Lord, then uh, that's kind of a problem because it means like, you know, Herod is not, uh, right? If, if Jesus is king, then... Then uh, you see in the text that Herod it says Herod is frightened uh, because well, you know. So Herod gets wind, and Herod, uh, you could do like a whole series on on this guy. He was kind of he was kind of bad news. Uh, he was kind of like uh, like he wasn't the Jewish people first pick to be their ruler. Uh, he was kind of like the half blood prince or something, you know. Uh, he was just played ball with the Romans, and so that's kind of what got in the gang. Uh, right, he was corrupt enough uh, to to sort of get the job uh, to sort of be ruler, and and so Herod did a lot of bad things. Herod um, murdered his own wife. He murdered many of his children, and did lots of other uh, bad things. So uh, we know in the scriptures uh, that we see how uh, all this sort of unfolds. Anyway. Um, so uh, Herod is this deeply disturbed by this info. And uh, because he's the one with the power. Uh, let me ask you this morning, as we begin this year, um, who would you say is in charge of your life? Who would you say uh, is born? Who would you say has the power? Um, I, I love this image of, of these wise sages from the East in juxtaposition with this, this kingly power, right? That these, these mystical sages, and they come in from the East, and they're flying uh, their hooky flag, uh, you know, and as they do, and, and we, always, we always are sort of like, I don't know about that, right? They're telling us, they're telling us about what the stars are saying, and apparently they're informed by creation itself, 
uh, to lead them. Uh, they're informed by the universe to tell them uh, where this Messiah is, and uh, it all just seems sort of it all just seems sort of hooky, right? It sort of flies in the face of a, of uh, our practicalness and our power, uh, right? Um, see, King Herod was frightened uh, because uh, this this news was misunderstood, right? Because um, if, if 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 Jesus has the power, well. Herod doesn't have the power, right? If, if Jesus is Lord, Rome is not. Uh, if Jesus has the power, uh, Caesar doesn't have the power. If, uh, if uh, this, this Messiah has the power, this baby has the power, uh, uh, our 401k doesn't have the power, right? Uh, if Jesus is Lord, our, our addictions are not Lord, right? Our image is not, we are not. Uh, and so in the beginning, there's this shift that begins to happen as we realize God has come among us. Uh, so these magi, uh, they come in their mysticism and their third eyes, and they're telling us what the stars are saying, and, and they're telling us about uh, the, the, the king of the universe, and, and we want to know what it has to do with, uh, with our little, you know, our little worlds. Uh, they're, they're telling us about this, this cosmic king, and we want to know what it has to do with our pockets. We want to know what it has to do with our authority. We want to know what it has to do with our power, right? Uh, we want to know how this will affect us, right? Jesus is born uh, into our neighborhoods today, and, uh, and, and, and what are you worried about, uh, right? If Jesus moved in your neighborhood, like, what are you concerned about today? Um, how will this affect the community, right? I think Jesus already got gentrified out of South Nashville. Like, we're getting MLS, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know? Jesus is out of here already, but um, no, what, what does this mean for us as Christ comes among us, right? How will this fly? Um, and so the Magi come to this small place, uh, to this little refugee family to say, this is God. God is here among us, right? And so what does it mean to see through uh, the Magi eye this morning? Uh, what does it mean that we follow the star this morning? What does it mean that we see the light uh, this morning? <coughs> the light has come to show us the path to Christ, right? The Savior. The light has not come to show us how to save ourselves, right? Uh, the light has come to show us, uh, to lead us to this little hole in the wall, this little dark corner of, of Bethlehem. Uh, the light has not come to show us uh, where anything else is. Herod. Uh, it's not about finding out that we are the star, right? But it's about finding out uh, who is, right? And who the star is pointing to. Uh, our, our culture is such a, such a, like a Pinocchio culture, isn't it? We, we think like, stars are for, for wishing. Like, we love to make wishes. Uh, you know, Disney has like, ruined this for, for, for all of us, uh, really. Um, you know, every... Every Disney movie has informed us about uh, wish fulfillment. And um, we were, what was it, like maybe New Year's Eve, we made the bad decision of going to uh, Opryland Hotel. Uh, you know, and Emily does this, like she like will pick the busiest day of the year, and she's like, let's do this. And it was, it was flooding like that day. And literally I dropped the kids, I dropped everyone off. Our, our grandparents were there and we dropped them off the door and I go park the car and it was like, I had seen the radar and it was like right as the red was hitting. And, and 
I like ran. I had an umbrella that was like about to like go Mary Poppins. And I was just running, and I literally just spent the rest of the time in the hotel just like soaking wet. It was ridiculous. But there was a bunch of other people, and we were like in solidarity. But, um, but they have tons of water in, uh, in the hotel, as you know, if you've been in there. And if you look, like it's just like full of coins, you know, because uh, everyone's, because some like tycoon at some point had the brilliant idea of like, Hey, you know, if you throw money in there, you get wishes, you know, and uh, and so they do. But the thing about Aubreyland is, it's not like the church fountain, right, where they're throwing pennies in. No, there are quarters. I swear, to you, there are half dollars in the in the fountains at Aubreyland. And so, like, my kids were like wanting to do it. I'm like, you, you want, you want to get in there, you know? Get in there. <laughs> you know, like, let's get you a handful, you know? It's like. Dinner, you know, like I tell you, his dreams are coming true. Whoever gets that money out, you know, uh, and so it's just so funny. This, you know, we think uh, we have such a wishing culture, you know. It's like, how's this? Let's make a wish. Um, so our culture has taught us that calling the light is like wishing on a star, right? It's like it's like another form of, of us seeing how we can have uh, the power, right? Um, and so this makes. It's, this makes sense no other way except to, to realize that that worship uh, reveals that it's actually not about us, right? And that's where we begin to enter into worship as we understand, well, this is, this is not about us, right? What does it mean this morning that the Christ child comes among us and, and only as he is, um, we are, right? That, it's, that is, as we journey and enter into his presence, we begin to see and, and understand that we are not. And yet simultaneously in his love we understand that we are. Um, and we enter into this place called worship. Or we pay him homage. Such a bad life. Pay him homage. And so approaching this light and bound to worship with the most valuable gifts that can be found at the feet of this Christ child uh, this morning gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, that's the most valuable, precious items of the day. And so we find uh, that they're actually letting go and that this is about letting go of what we have this morning. Um, and so these sages bow down to worship the Christ child as a symbol that the whole universe and everything, right, we even have to offer is being surrendered at the feet of this cosmic king. Uh, so let's jump back in the text in verse 13. It says, uh, Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He was infuriated, and he and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then he was fulfilled. Uh, I'm sorry. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Verse 19, when Herod died and the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Get up, 
take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Uh, and it says, Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that uh, Archelaus, Herod's son, was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, so they're like, they sent in a dream, and then they're like, uh oh, and then uh, so they get another dream. And, uh, and he went away to the district of Galilee. And there he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken to the prophet might be fulfilled, that he will be called, I think we need to make a little edit here, a Nazarene. Nazarene, that's, that's a typo. Uh, so uh, we, often, we often read this text and we just sort of like hit the highlights, right? Uh, it's like, uh, baby Jesus was born, the come. Herod, Herod's a bad dude, uh, baby Jesus travels around, settles down in Nazareth, Jesus becomes the first member of the church of Nazarene. And so a lot of times we're just hitting the high notes, right? But we're just missing so much uh, what, what happens here in the text. Uh, a lot of time passes, uh, a lot of things happen spatially throughout this time. And so uh, they've been fleeing, right? They had uh, fleeing to Egypt with its different languages and Greco-Egyptian cults and they had already relocated about 100 miles uh, to where they were, Galilee to Bethlehem. And so now uh, they're traveling about 600 more miles. Uh, I mean, just think about this for a second. It's about 600 more miles to escape uh, Rome's puppet, Herod, right? And uh, in doing so, they cross these religious and political and ethnic boundaries um, to save this young Messiah. And so can you imagine, like, I mean, we can barely make it to Destin, y'all, uh, like in a car with games and, you know, and a leap pad. You know, I can't imagine, like, all this uh, on donkey back, right, with a young child fleeing, right, uh, at this point. Uh, Jesus is, is a refugee, right? The Holy Family goes on tour, uh, but it's not like you think it is, uh, right? They're, they're running for their lives. They're refugees. They're all over the place. They're in foreign cultures. And, and uh, they're going through, uh, and, they, and they have no home and no safety and no aid. They're in this period of just ultimate uh, vulnerability. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we glaze over these narratives uh, like without realizing these key, uh, these key things. And so, um, yeah. Vulnerability. What, what comes to mind when you guys think of vulnerability? They might have a good, like, that, uh, or anybody even get to that question? It's like it's like not one of those things you're like, I want to talk about that. I want to experience that, right? Uh, it's like the thing that that you don't want to experience, right? It's the thing that that's like we would rather have to not like. That's what makes it vulnerability. If it if it weren't, it would be something else, right? I mean, that's uh, that's what we're talking about. Vulnerability, right? Uh, it's like something we would rather. Escape. Um, I love that passage in uh, Philippians 2 where it talks about um, the Christ who came, took on flesh among us, right? The God, the Christ, who is so vulnerable to come and live among us. And so that we find early in the life of this Messiah, right, that uh, what, type of, what type of Christ this is. This is not someone who is fleeing suffering. This is not someone who's escaping. Uh, right? This is someone who is experiencing it. 
who is engaging in the flesh and in the world, right? In the suffering with all of us, right? And so, uh, what about vulnerability? Like, we, we think about it as if it's the doorway to suffering, uh, and it may well be. Uh, but what does it mean this morning that it is also the path of salvation? Uh, what does it mean that vulnerability is also someplace that we might have to go? Uh, and so, Jesus at this point, Jesus is not even in kindergarten, all right? He's not even, you know, uh, he's not tying his shoes, he doesn't know his color chart, uh, right? He's pretty much helpless here. Uh, and so, what we have to realize, what we have to catch this morning is that this cosmic Christ that the Magi come to bring these gifts to, right, this king of the universe is on run for his life. Uh, and, and he's not even doing the running, right? And someone else is running with him. Like, it, it, you know, he is, he's got nothing. Uh, the cosmic king is being carried. Jesus is a helpless child. The God who created pillows doesn't get one, right? The God who, who took the waters and separated them and made the dry ground, right, uh, is held behind barriers, right, and walls and borders, God puts on flesh and we get schooled in vulnerability. Are you with me? Uh, this, is, this is what I'm talking about. We can't miss these details. And so in this, in this new year that we're in, and, and it's so easy to sort of get in this place where I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get power back over my life. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I gotta, I'm digging deep and this can be the year. And Kevin, call me. Tuesday at 5 a.m. and we're going to go running. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to dig deep. I'm going to get power back over my life. Don't do that. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm going to eat better. Uh, I'm going to be better. You know, I'm going to start this new thing. I got a podcast coming out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing stuff. It's 2019. I'm getting power back over my life. Uh, right? Let's put our back into it. But I can't help but think this morning. I'm wrapping up, probably. And um, I can't help but think it's a little coincidental that we have to begin every single year. Like, the way that we begin our new year, right, is by celebrating a cosmic Christ in a crib. Right? Are you with me? This is the way we got to start out. This is, this is the way this whole thing is going to begin, right? As if to remind us that this sort of reaching for power has, has never been the way the universe is, has operated. It has never been the way it has worked, right? What does it mean to see through the Magi eye this morning? Uh, what if 2019 can be the year of, you know, one of my resolution is vulnerability, you know? It's like, man, what a sucky resolution, you know? It's like... But what if, right? Uh, what if this morning that, that it's about just being like palms up, whatever Christ wants to give us? Um, what, what does it mean if we started just owning up? Like we begin the year by owning up to all the things that we've been uh, grappling with and addicted to and, and, and struggling with and, and tucking under the corner, right? And, and that we confess uh, that, that we're powerless. Uh, and that's where we begin. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite things. You know, sometimes I wonder, uh, like, what what would it be like if 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 we celebrated the twelve days of Christmas 
like we did, like uh, the 12 steps of recovery, you know, and uh, it's just like, I mean, it's, you know, flesh this out some more maybe, but maybe it'd be a good blog one day. But, uh, you know, think about um, the 12 steps uh, of recovery. I'm going to read a few, maybe all of them. And uh, no, number one, uh, we, we admit that we are powerless. Uh, this is over our uh, addiction. We're powerless over ourselves. That our lives have become, it says, unmanageable. Number two, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Number four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, Admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of our character. Number seven. Humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. <laughs> Number, seven. Number eight. Make a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Number nine. Make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number ten. Continue to take personal inventory, and we are when we are wrongly, when we are wrong, promptly admit it. Number eleven. Seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. And finally, number twelve. Having had spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to addicts and to practice these principles in all, all our affairs. <clears throat> My word. I'm trying to make a good Christmas song out of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, on the first day of Christmas, my true love came to me. Total vulnerability. You know, I think. <laughs> It could be something out here. We'll work on it later. Uh, you know, Nathan, maybe you guys work on that next week. Uh, so, you know why the 12 steps work? Uh, the 12 steps work because it is that. It, it's just like, it's just like total vulnerability. Like, the, there's, there's, there's only one way up, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, you, that you enter into this total and entire vulnerability, which is what I think the nativity is about this morning. That the nativity of Christ reminds us of, of anything that it's this that, that of what salvation is it's this total and vulnerable Christ child are you with me this is what we have to catch this morning uh, and so I hear uh, wrapping up this morning I hear young Nazarenes talk to me all the time about uh, how they're so especially the ones that are studying religion because they have to end, end up trying to get their basic license and all that because they have to answer all these dumb questions on this form, and they're always like, man, I'm so caught up on this entire sanctification thing, you know, it's like all day long, uh, we're just, I still know, you know, and, and people leave the church for this stuff, um, but I can't help but wonder this morning if entire sanctification has, has never been anything more than uh, entire vulnerability. That uh, entire sanctification. You guys get out your notebooks. I don't mind. Write it down. But I, but I can't have a wonder 
if the entire sanctification, if this whole thing about holiness, right, has never been about anything more than, than total vulnerability to God, right? That, that it's always been about it, surrendering ourselves uh, even more this morning. The call to bring our, our self daily uh, before God in this uh, emptying out, this pouring ourselves out uh, this morning. And so, uh, to close, um, here's what I'm not saying, okay? I want you guys going back and telling people the Pastor Caleb said, don't exercise, it's not going to do you good. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, do your thing, right? Tybo, I don't care. People still do that? I don't know. Uh, you know, eat healthy. By golly, eat healthy. Uh, uh, do it. But, right, uh, if you're trying to do this out of your own power, uh, out of something you're doing this year, um, I don't know if the universe has ever worked that way. I, I don't think it's any coincidence uh, that we find ourselves having, before we can move forward, right, having to first hit the brakes to say that I've got nothing. Uh, without you, Lord. And I can't do this without you, right? It, the, the, the starting place uh, requires first uh, some stopping and some worship. And so uh, this morning, may you find yourself um, journeying toward the star. May you be led somewhere. And may the place that, that you're led, may you find that it's not about you, right? And may that be a place of worship. May this be a place that, that we're willing to enter into our powerlessness so that, so that we can receive something good, right? That the, that the Christ who comes to us uh, comes in a way that um, saves us all. Total vulnerability this morning. So, let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for your word, God. We give you thanks for um, these figures, these magi, Lord, who it's easy just to talk around, uh, you know, but there were some faithful people at a, at a faithful time in history uh, that continue to inform us today about uh, what it means to step out and what it means to worship and what it means to uh, be informed of our powerlessness. That, uh, that of all the places, Lord, uh, we are this morning, uh, what does it mean that we find ourselves, Lord, uh, willing to darken some back corner of our neighborhoods uh, Lord, where we might find place to worship. Lord, that, uh, that as you have come as the Christ child, you have come everywhere and for all people. And so we give you thanks this morning. Uh, we have nothing without you, God. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs>